Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to On The Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brennan Sinone, joined by a full bench. I got Chris Snee. Hello, Chris. Good morning, again. Yeah, this definitely isn't the second time we're trying to record this. Uh, I've got Zach Blostein, who is sleepy and maybe grumpy. Good morning. You said you weren't grumpy on the first take we did. and Well, now it's the second take. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we got the legend himself. Dirty Dane Draper, Houdini, Dane Train. Uh, I think there were some other new nicknames that people on the board have added, but regardless, I can't remember them right now. Dane, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Hello. All right, let's get going. We have a lot to get to today. This is going to end with us talking about a recent road trip we did together, uh, and, and that'll probably devolve into sophomoric humor. But we'll try to be very professional, buttoned up to start off this podcast, very FSU news-centric show today. Let's get into it, Chris. Softball is kicking butt, taking names. It was, it's been a fun season regardless. We don't talk about them a ton on this show, uh, but they deserve some shine, some love right now for what they're, what they're doing. It's, it's continually a great product. Uh, Kat, Kat Sandercock had a, a perfect game last week in the regionals, led FSU to the Super Regionals this weekend, and, uh, and already off to a really good start so far. Looks like they're one game away from the College World Series. Yeah, they beat Georgia 8-1 to last evening at the complex. It was a packed-out house. I think they announced just over 2,000 in attendance. But if you include the garage and the people over the left-field wall and the firemen that were also there in center field, it was probably around 27, 2,800, if I had to guess. It was a very, very good crowd. That team's phenomenal. Uh, I think the best things I can say about that team, and we've covered them all year, me and Brett Nevitt have led the charge there and made sure we were there consistently at games, keeping up with them when they were on the road, things of that sort. And we have plans to try to continue to cover them to the last pitch of their season this year. I The best thing I can say about that team is very well tested. Lonnie put together a very, very difficult schedule. They played a ton of ranked teams. A majority of those games came on the road. They went to Oklahoma. They went to Oklahoma City. They were not scared of playing anybody and everybody. And I think it has very much prepared them for where they are currently right now. The other thing about that team, extremely talented. Kat Sandercock leads that pitching staff, but they have a multitude of girls that have thrown 40 or more innings on that roster that they trust, they believe in. McKenna Reed's one of the best freshmen in the country, sub-1 ERA for her on the year. I'm interested in how Game 2 this evening at 8 p.m. on ESPN will be handled from a pitching perspective just because Lonnie has created so many options that it's not a definitive, oh, if it's not Cat, which I don't expect to be Cat starting this evening. 
who is it? Could be Mac Leonard. It could be Reed. It could be Allison Royalty. It could be Allie Dubow, who we saw last evening coming in relief. So there are options, and she uses them. She uses them in a variety of ways. She's approached pitching very differently than I've ever seen a softball coach approach it, but it's become kind of a moving topic this year among the softball community about the idea of relievers and changing it up and going from someone who throws off-speed, slow stuff to somebody that can zoom it by you, things of that sort. Offensively, talented ball club can do a lot. You know, Michaela Edenfield's well-known for her power and her ability, but Kaylee Harding, Mac Leonard, uh, Janai Kerr all have been very good doubles machines for them. Katie Dak was very hot early in the year with hitting home runs. Uh, Muffley gets on base, much moves people around, also hits a lot of doubles herself. Devin Flaherty gets on base and creates havoc. FSU will put you on a cement mixer machine. That's the exact way I think the Georgia coach described it last evening. Tony Baldwin, when they get people on base, they're just going to move them around on you, get you real uncomfortable. Everybody refers to it as creating havoc, and they certainly do that. Their ability to go first to third and second to home on simple hits is very, very impressive. They create runs in a sport where if you got somebody on base with one or no outs and you got them at second base, you're probably going to score a run, and they do an excellent job of turning that around. They have a real shot. They're a really, really good ball club. Uh, you know, everybody thinks Oklahoma's kind of unbeatable. I'm not in that boat. They're extremely good, and they are the favorites to win the national title for a reason. But, like, FSU has built all year with the intention of getting to a three-game series in Oklahoma City with Oklahoma, who's on the other side of the bracket, and proving that they belong there and they can do it and they can pull off a national title. But uh, Kocha, as Lonnie goes by, phenomenal job by her. Her staff does a phenomenal job. They, it, it's been last season not to be ESPN and bring up the Mississippi State losses like they love to do so much. But last year taught that team a lot of lessons, and there were a lot of returning pieces. And the way they approached this year throughout the year, the way they scheduled, the way they played, the way they approached their pitching, the way they handle adversity, all of it is spurred off of the lessons learned from last year ending in a fashion where they did not expect it to nor enjoy the way nobody enjoys their season ending, but they were shocked to a degree that their season ended when it did last year. And it's why they're now in a position one game away from going to Oklahoma city. Chris, you mentioned the atmosphere yeah, uh, early, early awesome. on there. It, it's great. So like if we can like paint a picture, uh, you don't have to do rankings, but I'm curious, like when softball is at its pinnacle for a series like this one, like where does it rank in the best like FSU of other sports, the best FSU environments when they're also like at their a game like dope like on a saturday night's number one but like what so, else be there last night fifth inning they're one run away from ending that game prematurely i think janai kerr was at the plate if i recall correctly that place was ready to pop and it was loud it was consistently loud all night crowd was way into it uh the young lady spoke about it afterwards about how the mo uncle mo is there for them and it definitely exists but, man, if Kerr put one in play or put it out of there, that place was going to lose its mind. And it's just, you know, my wife's a huge softball fan. It's turned me into a pretty big softball fan over the years. I've enjoyed going. I like the people I deal with in that complex, and I have for years. Um, it's been really cool to watch it go from being very popular to, like, insanely popular. They could have put a 1,000 more seats there last night, and they would have sold in a matter of minutes. I mean, that place is ready to be – Alabama, I think, seats about 3,500 at its max. FSU is about half of that. You know, they had 2,000 last night. I think FSU could easily get to 3K in that stadium right now and sell it with ease in postseason play. And for the Floridas and the Clemsons and the VTs, there, there's a lot of it too, and it's been kind of a talking point. Tony Baldwin talked about it, the head coach for Georgia. Obviously, the SEC and the Pac-12 are very much considered the great 
softball conferences. And then the big is pretty good too, or I'm sorry, big 12 is pretty good too, because OU who's obviously going to be leaving it and Oklahoma city and some others of that sort, but the ACC is playing a good job of catch up and FSU's led that charge. Clemson relatively new program become pretty good. B tech, good program. Duke also fairly new, very good. Best season I think they've ever had is the current one that they're in right now. It, they've just elevated the conference. And I think fans interest is elevated you know, the average person that goes to softball will tell you the two things they like is one, it goes pretty fast. And some of that slowed down this year because of review and, you know, UCF pitcher things that happened last weekend where she took about 40 seconds between pitches. Hello, pitch clock. Um, but it is faster. And the other thing is, like, it's enjoyable. Like it, Some sports, I feel like there's a sense of dread to them. Like you're waiting for the shoe to drop, something bad to happen. I feel like softball is the opposite. You're always kind of expecting – you're one hit away from probably putting yourself back in a position to play a good game. Even Georgia last night before the fifth, that was still very much a game. FSU just made sure to create the space. But, no, the atmosphere is really good in comparison to other atmospheres at FSU. I mean, some of the best atmospheres I've ever been in are obviously Doak Campbell, and everybody knows that. There's 80,000 people there. They understand that. FSU basketball versus Louisville a few years ago is as nuts as I've ever seen the tuck. Um Women's basketball, when they've had really, really good teams come in here and gotten good crowds, 3-4K for like a Notre Dame or a UConn or somebody of that sort, those are good crowds. But like softball, they're way into it. And there's a lot of diehard faithfuls to the softball fan base here. And, you know, good player family element to it too. So I think all of that helps create the atmosphere, even when it isn't really crowded. And last night was an excellent crowd. And Georgia had a good contingent. So there was always a little playing off of one another. But no, it's definitely, in my opinion, it is the sport at FSU that is most fast-growing in fan uh, interest and anticipation of their events. It is it is such a cool environment because you have the people over the garage and people in the outfield. It, it is extremely unique. Uh, and softball's obviously been really good for, for a while now. It's a remarkable product. Uh, it keeps getting better. Speaking of remarkable products that keep getting better, a uh, shout-out to Chattanooga Whiskey, the sponsor of our podcast, they do an amazing job with bourbons and rides and all kinds of different funky finishes that are that are super unique. And uh, they do an amazing job. It's a great product, one that I'm extremely happy to have uh, supporting us here at On the Bench. If you're in the state of Florida, uh, they're in 14 states now. If you're in Florida, you can find it pretty much anywhere. I would highly recommend their 111 cast strength whiskey. Excuse me, easy for me to say. Uh, if you want a bourbon with a little more oomph to it, but that doesn't drink like crazy hot and still has got a nice level of richness, sweetness, and, and com complexity. Uh, it's it's one of the best values out there uh, on the bourbon market. Chris needs falling in love with it. Uh, hopefully not not too much in love, like not a Jeremiah Byers level of love, Chris. But um, nope, No restraining order there. That's probably for the best. Okay, let's let's move it on to some news that, that happened earlier this week, and that was the ACC on the heels of the spring meetings last week announced a revenue sharing system that'll start in 2024, 2025 season. It'll be based on performance. Basically, if you make the playoffs, you'll get more money. Uh, Chris, it was a very vague email that was sent out. Other than announcing it, there weren't specifics on what that money would look like. I've been led to believe around $10 million payout if you make the playoffs. Keep in mind, the playoffs will expand, I believe, in, in that year to 12 teams. So higher chance of like two teams in the ACC making it. Uh, so basically, it's it's based on solely on-field performance, not TV revenue or TV um, footprint, broadcast, anything like that. Uh, so let's 
let's get going on this, Chris. Get your thoughts on it. Uh, someone on the Unconquered board referred to it as a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. I thought that was probably pretty apt, but I don't want to taint the jury pool here. What were your thoughts when when you heard that that was indeed coming to fruition or supposed to in a year from now? I mean, I think it's a good description. I, I thought the release was hilarious. This is a line from it. The specifics of the plan are in progress and will be solidified in the coming months. So we're not actually going to tell you a whole hell of a lot here, kids. That's what they're saying. The other thing is that they call it success incentives. I love that political term for, you know, hey, you're actually good here. You deserve more money. And it's for revenue generating postseason competition, which is a nonspecific term in itself. Obviously, first thing you think of is football, college football playoff expansion is a big part of this. NCAA basketball tournament is probably the next one up. Beyond that, I'm not really sure how we're going to, you know, point to something as revenue generating versus non-revenue generating and college athletics where they love to act like they're broke when they have hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, no, nah, I mean, it, it's minor. It's better than nothing. You know, $1 is better than $0, but it doesn't close the gap of 30 or $40 million, which is a gap that's going to exist. Um, now, if two teams from the league make the playoffs, FSU-Clemson, for example, uh, yeah, it's really good for them. It will help them, but it doesn't, again, close the gap. And the other thing that release comes out is it hammers down and shuts the case off of they don't really intend to do anything else <clears throat> Excuse me, to change revenues. Another line from said release, all other revenues will continue to be equally shared as currently outlined. So the whole thing about, hey, we're the people that move the TV needle, FSU Clemson, especially being the people that do that versus the vast majority of the rest of the conference. Well, good for you. We're still going to split that pie, which is the biggest pie currently available to the ACC. So no, it, it doesn't fix it. Um, if, if schools can find a way out that have a landing spot, they will find a way out. The issue is finding a way out. Yeah. This doesn't change a ton. It's, it's not a sustainable model. It's not going to keep everyone happy. It's not going to keep the, the powers of the, of the ACC um, satisfied. I mean, it's better than nothing, like Chris said, but no, this, there have been other leagues that have done an uneven revenue split before. I think most notably is like in, I guess Big 12 did it about up, up until recently until Oklahoma and Texas, but it had been going for a little while. And you saw some schools like, like Nebraska and, and Texas A&M leave two conferences that do equal revenue sharing um, in Oklahoma and Texas had their own side broadcast deals like to earn extra revenue and they still left anyways. Ultimately, like the amount of money that is available in the Big Ten and the SEC for broadcast rights uh, is, is so substantially more than what can be offered elsewhere. That's what's currently being offered elsewhere. It, it really is kind of a moot point. Like it it doesn't matter uh, as I view it. So this is not quite akin to arranging deck chairs on the Titanic because you can uh, impress your or uh, improve your outlook a little bit for Florida state. Like if you can get $10 million by making the playoffs, like it's kind of weird that they didn't have that to begin with, but it, it only does so much. So uh, the fan response was not fantastic. Uh, they weren't really happy with it. Florida state fans understandably why uh, Chris, one, one talking point I did want to touch on with you. Cause I've been listening to like some national podcasts and trying to familiarize myself with uh, the business part of, of TV networks and, and contracts. But like one thing that has come up fairly frequently from, from national talking heads is this kind of scoffing at Florida state thinking that it deserves more money than Boston college or wake forest because of the on-field product has not been great the last five to seven years. Uh, 
I disagree with that. I think that's short-sighted and silly uh, and is not talking about what's actually driving revenue and interest. But uh, I, I defer to you to get your point on this. Not to hurt the feelings of any Dallas Cowboy fans that listen to this. But the reason Dallas Cowboys are popular is because people watch them. A lot of people watch them. Whether they're really good or they're crappy, people are going to watch them. FSU, when they're really good, a lot of people watch them. And when they've been crappy recently, people are still watching them. Like, that supersedes everything. If we're talking about money, and in this conversation, money is media partners, which is largely TV revenue. If you're driving people to TV sets, which still matters, even though court cutting has become prolific, it still matters, and it creates the revenue. The ACC TV deal is built on the backs of Florida State and Clemson, plain and simple. And Michael Alford and uh, Graham Neff at Clemson have made no bones about that. They've been very direct about that. Michael Alford put the numbers out there directly for you. I think, what, end of February is when he did that? Yeah. So, like, if you want to scoff at it, have at it. But it makes you look like a dumbass. I mean, that's the plain and simple truth of it. Like, the TV money is there because of those schools. Has FSU sucked at times in recent years? Yes. Did we make the playoffs? No. Hell, did we make the postseason a couple of those years? No. But people still watch them. They are still the ones that drive the TV traffic. The Go look up the ACC championship numbers when FSU, or, you know, well, you can't because FSU and Clemson have consistently been in it. But look up when the opponent is a lesser team and how it influences it, the checkout on that. So one thing the league got right in recent years was getting rid of divisions so FSU and Clemson can play in a championship game. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because TV numbers would be really, really good for FSU versus Clemson instead of Clemson versus Wake Forest or FSU versus Duke. It's just a matter of fact. It's They drive TV people. They have large fan bases gathered around major metropolis areas, especially in the southeast, for example. For FSU, it's Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Atlanta. For Clemson, there's a lot of, of them in Atlanta, obviously. That's going to drive TV numbers in big markets. That matters. It's going to drive general TV numbers of national interest. At the end of the day, that's what matters. The reason, and I believe it was Ross Dillinger that said it, that Oregon and Washington didn't immediately end up in the big when Kevin Warren was investigating the idea of doing that was media partners said the money wasn't there. Part of that, and Oregon and Washington are good brands in their own right, but Washington doesn't have a national reach. They're very popular to their fan base, but that's it. Oregon's national reach is a little bit better than Washington's because of uniforms and just general fan interest. Oregon's one of those programs that some reason generates it. FSU and Clemson both are far superior to that. They would drive media partner money if they became available on the market for other leagues land. So I, I think that's a stupid notion on their part. So I, I think it's short-sighted. This whole thing's being driven financially by media partners and TV revenue. Mm-hmm. They want properties within their leagues that make their leagues more valuable from a TV viewership standpoint, FSU and Clemson are two of those. Oklahoma and USC are two of those. UCLA, eh, but it's in Los Angeles, massive TV market. So it makes sense. Plus, I'm sure UCLA wanted a dancing partner with them out west. So, you know, there's a reason who has moved to where they've moved, have moved there because of TV. And the fact that FSU has still performed well, broadcast numbers, television viewer numbers, despite not really being relevant other than the last year or so in the last half decade or so, like that only undercuts the point for national people. Like yeah. it, the, the yeah. fact that, that this thing is ready to explode if it gets on the right track and we think it is like, 
that's undercutting what your your point is. It's like, yeah, there's a level of hubris for Florida State to say, hey, they're not in a great position to make demands as much as they could be if they had it together the last post-Jimbo era. But like, who, who else did in the league? Who else carried this league in the time FSU was down? Clemson, right. right? They're the dancing partner with FSU. Who else was there? Like I, I don't care about the other teams in the league. They they can have their feelings hurt. They've not filled the coffers with money. They are also they've been lifted by what FSU and Clemson has done for them over the last thirty years. Sorry that FSU and Clemson came calling for more money when the market suddenly changed. That's how this thing works. Yeah, and and they've like Florida State has invested in football. Clemson has invested in football. There's others that have, but there's others that have not invested anywhere near what other programs have. And that's the one thing I do like about him being incentivized is like it it will continue to fuel Florida State to keep reinvesting in football. Not that they weren't doing that already, but it just it further hammers that home and I think from a long-term perspective, your end game is to get out of this conference. I, I know what Michael Alford said uh, that that's the preference and that would be ideal if everything was was together at the ACC meetings. But I think the, the long game is because of, of the cap, the ceiling that the ACC has presented so far without a real plan to really earn more money on what the TV revenue is currently. Like your end game is to get into the Big Ten or the SEC. That's what you're working towards. So it does fit nice and tidily in that like there's incentive incentive for you to be better at football right now right? Because you're going to continue to invest in it. And then that will prepare you in theory, if things go well, to be competitive when it matters, if or when you move up to another conference. And since FSU hired their current AD, the mission statement of this program has been football. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So I think we're seeing what the long play is. I think Michael Alford has more or less done what he can do with a pretty crappy hand. And now we kind of see like what what the world around Florida state looks like in the next few years. That's hey Zach, rough. how excited are you by these last 20 minutes? I'm excited for you guys. That's good. Zach, Zach hates, Zach hates conference quick. realignment. It just doesn't do I just, it. I, I think all of this is like, nothing's really going to happen until they, they make the decision to leave. And I think, I like that people are interested in it because it shows that the college football world does care. Um, and it's one of those topics that does carry weight nationally, but man, like, I mean, we're talking about like you get a, f- a few extra bucks. Uh, I shouldn't say a few extra bucks, but for these programs and these, uh, you know, th- these institutions, a few extra bucks for making the playoffs. Like this should have been a thing that was instituted like in 2014, but we're in 2023. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, success incentives should have always existed. It, it's a simple thing. If you earn it, you should keep it. Yeah. I mean, our, not to speak to And let's though. be honest, FSU wouldn't get diddly for the basketball tournament last year because they were miserable at basketball. So, like, you know, it is who and what you are. It's not like this changes and FSU suddenly is just going to make more money. This changes and says, well, if we're good at it, we're going to make more money. So I'll let you in on a little secret. Probably investing in basketball the next time they have to hire a coach will be a little bit more of a – incentive-based idea because there might be a return on that incentive crazy concept we um uh, we are all incentive-based employees and it makes you work harder and that's that's the truth of the matter and the and best I, go ahead, uh, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off Brent. the best thing fsu's done and alfred led charge obviously in the last i don't know eight months or so they've muddied the waters and they've made it a very public debate and mm-hmm. 
they've proven that Clemson is, in fact, a dancing partner with them and that there are others, maybe not truly five, that can get out of conference simultaneously, but there are others that are interested in the idea and rated duty idea. It, it, it makes it very uncomfortable, and I don't know how much it accomplishes short term, but I think it's better than acting like we're all dancing in a circle around the campfire and we like each other, personally. Zach, stand up real quick so we can make Owens happy. So you're wearing garnet. <laughs> All right, Zach, uh, real quick as we go to the next topic here, can I get a he's here, idiots? He's here, idiots. Keon Coleman is arriving in Tallahassee this evening. So I guess he's technically not here yet. But as you're, if you're oh, listening. Oh, wow. So you made me lie? That means <laughs> nothing. Uh, Keon Coleman, the Michigan State wide receiver transfer, is uh, arriving in Tallahassee on Friday evening. I expect him to enroll. I hate putting timelines on things, but, but probably next week is when it'll happen. Uh, he's got a class schedule, good to go. So uh, that'll happen. Just always weird with um, with transfer recruiting because a guy can commit and then you have to wait for uh, – it's like this big – this big rush, hurry up, get it done. And then all of a sudden you have to wait for a little bit. And we've seen like FSU tried recruiting Antavius Lane, who was committed to UNC back in January, but couldn't enroll then. And, and so like, you can still go ahead and, and recruit someone. Uh, so that was good that it's going to get done, that he's going to be here as early as possible. Not just that you eliminate any chance of Ole Miss still trying to make a run at him, but for him to get here and start developing chemistry with Jordan Travis and the rest of the offense, um, that, that's nice. I believe the other class of 2023 prospects are arriving as well in the next few days here. Got yeah. Conrad Hussey, Blake Nicholson, Keith Sampson, Edwin Joseph, Sam Singleton, Goldie Lawrence, Jabril Rawls, Andre Otto, and Dylan Brown-Turner. Uh, this is going to be a Byerson own question for you, fellows, sponsored by the Turner, the Turner, Group. The Turner Group. The Turner Group. You can reach out to Colin Turner at 407-403-8546. Email him at getstarted at theturnergroup.com. Uh, or you can just go to Google, type it in, the Turner Group, and uh, and you get an idea of uh, what he he does from a sales perspective, buying and selling homes in the state of Florida, specifically Central Florida. But they are moving up to Tallahassee Market. They actually helped a couple of Florida State players find homes, and um, and he he's doing a really good job of figuring out a, a market inefficiency. Basically, it's a lot cheaper month to month to own in Tallahassee than it is to rent. And there's a pretty like big discrepancy, whereas rent in Tallahassee, Zach can probably attest to this, is it's pretty high for college students. Uh, but owning, as Chris and I can attest to, isn't. And so if you're a parent of a Florida State student and your son, daughter is about to get to Florida State or going to come in in the next few months here, uh, consider the possibility of making it a, a profitable adventure, owning and renting out later uh, instead of just flushing money away. So you can reach out to Colin Turner and they have the infrastructure to help you out with that now. Uh, probably a really good idea for you guys if you have that flexibility. So buyer Sunone, guys, which freshman enrollee will make the biggest impact this season? Zach, I'm going to start with you. Bye. Um, how is that a buyer Sonone? <laughs> that was the joke. Okay, good. Uh, well, nice. bye. Okay. Conrad Hussey for me. How come? I think they absolutely need safety depth. And we've seen 
in years past under Mike Norvell and Adam Fuller that they love rotating defensive backs, even if it's, you know, a guy like uh, Pack who is a walk-on. Like, they will rotate guys to make sure that, that, that everyone's staying, um, you know, healthy in games. And, and I think Conrad Hussey is from a program that does a great job of preparing uh, student athletes from to, to, you know, get to the next level. And he's been, you know, working on his craft and, and he'll be ready to go um, as we enter fall camp. Dane, how about you? I think Zach has the best answer. Um, that's what I would go with too, but I'll put another name out there because he took the best one. Um, Edwin Joseph, I think. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Edwin Joseph, I think, is a, is a good option for that. Um, I think he could – I mean, we were talking about this on the uh, on our road trip that we'll get to, but um, that he could be, like, maybe the best nickel on the roster by the end of the season or something potentially. Like, he's he's a really good prospect, and he kind of comes in with, with – with a more college ready body than most guys, he's kind of a thicker build and he's, I mean, physically, he's almost like a, I mean, I know he's really long, he's really long arms. He's not, he doesn't lack physical traits and ability that some other guys might have. <laughs> um, like, like a Kevin Knowles, maybe who's, who's much uh, shorter, I guess, or not shorter, but Compact. not as long. Yeah. Um, or Greedy Vance even. We love Greedy Vance, but, you know, those guys don't have the same frame that, like, an Edwin Joseph would have. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting to see him come in, see what kind of impact he could have early on. Chris? I mean, I think Hussey's the answer, but does Ashlyn Barker count? Because technically he'll be a freshman. He has you know what? Eligibility left. You know what, Chris? Yes, I'll let him. I'll let him count. Yeah, I still think the answer is Hussey, but Barker's a guy that I think can get in that mix for very much the same reasons as – Edwin and uh, Conrad. Because he will be a retro freshman. So I guess he counts as the freshman class. No one, no love for Blake Nicholson here? I thought I just, you were going to say Blake Nicholson. But I, I feel like this season, if we're talking about next year, I think Blake Nicholson's like the number one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but The top three at linebacker is so defined. And then I feel like they forced, and that's not a knock on them, but forced fed Omar Graham into that fourth spot. And they want that to be what it is this year. So at best, that would make Blake fifth or sixth, along with Demarco. I, yeah, I guess so. I, I think maybe uh, I'm maybe most intrigued to see Blake Nicholson just because he's coming from a smaller classification in California. But I think athletic profile wise, like he could end up being the most impactful guy coming in uh, for this summer. But I think we have a better idea of what Conrad Hussier Edwin Joseph will be because of the level of competition they faced in South Florida. So and also like a need for playing time at those two positions, specifically safety. So I think if we all had to like, this is for us to diversify in the answers. Like I think we'd all agree with Zach that Connor and Housey has probably the, the clearest path to making a, an instant impact as a true freshman. Um, but I, I think they, they have about three or four guys who have a chance to contribute some way or another, either special teams or something coming in here. Uh, let's see. Oh, Zach, let's talk about Tasia Young. Am I saying it correctly? Is it Tasia, TJ? I, I honestly don't know. I, th- I think it's TJ. Really? I think. I don't believe you, Dane. Probably not going to speculate. All right. Yeah, probably not. Uh, FAU cornerback, uh, safety, kind of a do-everything defender. Entered the transfer portal the other day. He is a redshirt senior, so he's a graduate. Transfer entering the portal. Super productive during his career. I think 160 tackles, seven interceptions. Four of those have gone for touchdowns. Multiple forced fumbles. Uh 
good this last year. Had like a 66.5 PFF grade the year before when he was more of a safety than a, a slot defender. He had an 87.5 somewhere in that range PFF grade, which is exceptional, like on 800 snaps. So someone who is very productive at the Conference USA level. Zach, you've had some good scoop on him the last few days. Someone that we know FSU, if you listen to this podcast, is in the safety market. Uh, Byers and sponsored by the Turner Group. FSU pursues Tasia Young, TJ. According to well, you. I'm going to avoid that question. I think, uh, thank you, the Turner Group. Sorry, Colin. But um, yeah, I think FSU's been in contact here. Um, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't describe it uh, as they're pursuing him quite yet. But he did have conversations with Adam Fuller, defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, and head coach Mike Norvell on Thursday. Um, he had a, a, a conversation Thursday afternoon or evening with Norvell. I don't know uh, if anything was was set up or like as far as visits go. Um, but when I checked in in the early afternoon, he did not have any visits set. Um, I was told Ole Miss, LSU, and Mississippi State are three other schools that had reached out besides FSU. So the FSU is the only in-state school that had reached out at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know Florida State's desperately in need of a, a safety and they're, you know, one of the schools that's most heavily in the market for a transfer safety. So pursuit wouldn't be surprising to me, but I guess we'll see kind of how things shake out. I'm not going to answer that. Okay. So it's because you're compromised on this and, and we have a bet that whether he's going to take a visit or not. Cannot confirm or deny that. All right. Zach's, Zach loses a lot in these bets. So it's probably a good thing if you want to see Tasia Young on campus, if you're in uh, Team Sedona on that. Uh, Chris, any, you're smiling. Any, anything to add in here? I watched an FAU video package a moment ago to make sure it was TJ Young, which is how they said it in the FAU video. <sighs> oh, take your victory lap, Dane. Let's so, go. Cool. Um, TJ Young. Got I mean, We've spoken a lot about safety. Me and Zach chatted about it on the last OTB. It, they need a safety net guy, for lack of a better term. I know there's a pun to that, but that they too. do. They need that guy that can be reliable, has played a lot of college snaps, can do a variety of things, can allow them to move either that player or another player like a Shaheen Brown around to do different things on different downs and different situations. So at some point, yes, they're going to have to say yes to somebody to be their bride at safety, and the options just aren't very deep. Um, we'll see if he ends up making a, a trip here to Tallahassee. seems like he's very much so on the radar. There's an evaluation process going on. You want to make sure someone's a good fit, that they'd be able to contribute right away, especially with a one-year type of deal. Uh, make sure he's comfortable with the role. So there's a vetting process going on here. To add to what Zach uh, reported earlier, uh, he said it, there was nothing set up in as of yesterday afternoon. I can confirm as of yesterday evening, still nothing set up visit-wise yet. So Zach, you're still you're still in the clear right now. For now, I feel bad like talking about a bet where I'm betting that someone's not going to visit, but I just not for I money, it's just for us bragging rights, just for me to tell you that I'm right and you're wrong, and that just happens a lot. Not as often as you think. <laughs> Earlier this week, 24 7 Sports updated its top 247. FSU had four commitments inside of those rankings. Uh, leading off was Landon Thomas, not a big surprise there. He had a 98 grade and remained ranked at 24th nationally, still a five-star guy. FSU flipped him from Georgia. 
uh, back in April, which by the way, Georgia just got another tight end commitment. So they have two in this class. I think that's probably a good sign for Florida state that Georgia, I mean, I'm sure they would take Landon Thomas, but it seems like they had, or they are uh, building a, a backup plan, which is probably a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, they, uh, they took the number one tight end or number two tight end, whatever there's like rankings discrepancy on that, but uh, Landon Thomas is number one in our rankings. Um, and number one in our hearts. Jaden Riddell is some other really high-end tight end as well. But they just nice, landed. Nice to be Georgia, huh? Yeah, yeah we lose one five-star. We're just taking that. I think, I think the day after Landon Thomas committed, they got a crystal ball for that kid. It was like, <laughs> uh, their tight end recruiting is elite. I mean, Todd Hartley, he did it, I think, at Miami as well. He did a really good job. And then he's been obviously amazing at Georgia with Brock Bowers and all those guys behind him. Darnell Washington. Next up, Luke Cromenhawk, quarterback, who's been pledged to FSU for what, it's about two years now. Has it been one year? We um, saw him in person two years. Like a year and a half. Ago. Okay, a year and a half. We saw him in person about two years. Committed ago. in spring of 2022. Okay, thank you. Um, his grade gets a bump from 93 to 94, moves up the ranking slightly, going from 66 nationally to 63rd. Uh, we'll get to the Cam Davis drop in a in a bit. Uh, but he goes from a 93 grade to 92, and that decrease, in addition to other guys going up in the rankings, drops him from 86 nationally to 116th. Uh, and then athlete Loey McCoy from South Florida goes from 172 to 158. Uh, so FSU has four commits already in that top 247. But, Zach, I, I think the big takeaway here was, uh, surprisingly, you got cranky after doing a, VI, a really good VIP update on all the inside information on, on where FSU stood for other top 247 prospects. You got cranky because it took a really long time to do it because FSU's in it for a lot of guys. And, I'm like and, a cranky. Uh, he was being cranky. Chris, come on. He was being a little – it took forever. Uh, I'm groovy. I don't think he was being cranky. <laughs> I think he was being studious and doing a phenomenal job. Very good job, Zach. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, I do yeah. have to say, I, I just want to love on Zach since Brendan's hating on him. Zach's kicked ass and taking names in recruiting recently. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, I don't know who he's trying to compete with. I guess it's his, himself, but like, it's been awesome to watch. I mean, the amount of information he's dropped on the site recently, and obviously June's going to be a pivotal month. That was for you, Brendan. But he's been all over the fact that they're setting up for a very pivotal month. Um, Thank yeah. you, Chris. Would you say I'm checking all the boxes, though? You are, buddy. I've tried to move on from that one, but you are. I'm not yeah. letting you move on. Thank yeah, you. We've Chris. had over 100 subscribers in May for Knowles 24 7, which is weird because we haven't had any like big promos or anything recently. So, but we appreciate everyone for giving us a chance. Gear up now, like get ready for June because it is going to be a crazy month of recruiting coverage with Zach and Chris leading the way. Dane's going to be helping out a ton. I'll probably be making some appearances as well, too. Uh, go in and, and muck things up and make it awkward as in, well. In so. between your nine vacations. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel less rested after the vacations. Anyways, Knowles247.com is where to go. Back on track, guys. That wasn't me who deviated this, by the way. For the for the <laughs> five people who are like, We're oh, still we host the podcast. It's so much better when Sinone does it. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. I already started, but I'm some people go in management positions elevate people, other people knock them down. Zach, just talk about the freaking 247 and all the prospects there, please. There were a bunch of guys. Um, it did take me a while to write that article. I did a latest intel on all the guys that were listed in the top 247 that were Florida State targets or commits. 
and it was like I had 20 slides of guys plus like five more. So there was like 25 guys that I wrote about in total. Um, and a lot of them, Florida State had legitimate traction with or a legitimate shot with guys that are going to that have already set up visits to FSU over the summer or guys that are in, in works of, of scheduling trips. So uh, I would definitely go check out that that uh, article to, to learn the latest on all of those guys. I, I think it's just super interesting how because a year ago, like these lists weren't that long. We would do these type of stories like there'd be a dozen guys that would be in it for. And now it's nearly two dozen. Like they've almost doubled their their prospects with these guys. Or we'd saying. include. Yeah, we'd include guys that like they really right. had a low shot with. Um, like, but they like were how many of those guys would you say FSU has a 50-50 shot with right now? If you can go off the top of your head. Probably like. Or better, fifteen or or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have guessed like six or seven, but still, like we're talking about you potentially adding half dozen to another dozen more top two, four, seven prospects. It's like a reasonable thing to to think about. Yeah, I mean, from the start, I mean, look at like it's like the five star guys like Charles Lester, um, Joe, Joe, Jojo Trader. Um, <laughs> he had an extra kill. Sorry, I'm like Jason Zandamella. Like those are guys that are all within the top one hundred. That's so funny, guys. Um, that are, that, are within the top <laughs> that tickled me too. I don't know why. Xavier Mincy, uh, a guy that's considering all three in-state schools, like they're all close to 50-50 shots, and those are all guys that are extremely highly ranked within the top two four seven. Dane, coming to you here. Let's talk about the Cam Davis drop, and I, I'm sure Chris is going to have some thoughts on this as well. But uh, Cam Davis has fallen fairly like steadily uh, since since he committed to Florida State a couple of years ago. He was a five-star guy. And part of this is players go up, but like he's actually dropped, like players get added to the list, but he's actually dropped in his overall grade. And I think that might be what what I think I want to focus on here is, is why. Like it hasn't dropped or he hasn't played a game this summer to, to drop anything. Fans kind of want to know why. And I thought you put really good context to kind of explain like what our evaluation system is like. And that's not necessarily necessarily us agreeing that he should have a 92 grade i think we're just trying to explain like some of the pro upside things like that so i'll let you take it from here and explain like on your your viewpoint on it yeah i so i made that i made a board post about this um kind of listing and explaining some reasoning potential reasonings for this and um i mean i don't know if any of them in particular were like especially like what exactly it is and i don't think it's a huge deal either to be honest, just personally. But um, I mean, I, I, the biggest thing is probably like, and it's probably the one that people have the most, the biggest problem with. And that's that he could be like maxed out or just closer to that than most other prospects that are considered super high end, like top 150 guys that have these high NFL projections and kind of frames and athletic testing that you can kind of stargaze about and think, wow, that guy could be a first round pick in a few years or something when Cam Davis might not really have that. Um, and maybe he does, but I think he might have less of it. And like um, Coach AB, you know, he was on the board too, or he was within that thread saying like, you know, he doesn't quite understand that because um, it could just be that he's more ready and that should be seen as a good thing. And I don't really disagree with that either. So I don't know enough about like how the human body grows and stuff <laughs> and like um, that sort of thing. <laughs> that sort of thing with with like freaky athletic guys and stuff and as teenagers to 
to say for certain whether that's a good or bad thing necessarily, but I can understand why he might be getting dropped in the ranking some. Yeah, I'm sure that's what went into it, Dan. <sighs> I, I was really close to just muting him there and helping him. <laughs> Thank you. Just do it. So uh, I I think it's odd. He's an outlier. We're an outlier as a company. We have him at, what, 116 now? Is that where he landed? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. The other three, 35 to 59. All right, so I think he is a top 50 or on the cusp of top 50 prospect in the country. I think he is one of the three, four best running backs on film in the country. Obviously, I've not seen him all in person. I've had the luxury of seeing Cam in person. Uh, but, you know, we have him as the seventh best back in the country. I, I just have a tough time believing there's six guys in the country at that position better than Cam Davis. I've always used Cam Davis to a degree a lot like Cam Akers, maybe not quite as explosive, maybe not as quite the high ceiling, but like not far off either. And I, there is some of him that's college ready mentally. I think he is college ready physically. He's not far off, but he's going to improve as a running back when he gets to college. He's well, never just focused on being a running back. So like, I don't think he's a guy that's tapped out at the same time. So Chris, with, with the Cam Akers comps, I, I think this is noteworthy. Cam was a five-star prospect. Yeah. Uh, and the way we do things as a network is projecting for NFL. And right. how they're going to be in the NFL. And I'm running sure. backs become more and more devalued position to a degree. Well, the they're NFL, projected to the NFL draft. They're not projected to the NFL draft. So yeah. this past yeah. NFL draft, we had, what, two running backs in the top, what was it, 12 picks? 12. John yeah, Robert, that was an outlier. In the top one. That right. was an outlier. That is an outlier. But at the same time, I don't think – if an NFL team was drafting high schoolers this year, I don't know that they wait till 116 to hit Cam Davis. Well, so well, let's take it back to the Cam Akers comp because I do think that it is good just in terms of build, playing style, um, obviously some some versatility uh, to their game. played a lot of quarterback in high school yeah. and both became running back in college. Yeah. Cam Akers went, what, in the 50s in the NFL draft? I don't remember what? offhand. I believe it was second round. He, went in the, he did definitely go in the second round. Um, I'm pulling it up real quick. 52nd pick. Damn, I'm really good at this. Um, so he was a 52nd pick, middle of round two. If we're looking at our rankings, like a top 32 prospect is someone who we would project to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, so you're talking, if we're going in that kind of order here, you're talking about Cam Davis being like a, an early day three type of type of guy, round three, round four type maybe. Um, let's play this game here and actually like go through and do our we got an algorithm here. Uh, I won't tell how it's worked, but this will give us an idea of how we would grade him. So, Chris, I'm going to start off his project, projected production uh, in college. Do you think he's going to be an All-American, an All-Conference player, uh, an All-Conference player at the G5 level, which is technically ranked ahead of starters, starter at P5, starter at G5 depth or on the team? I think he's an All-Conference player without a shadow of a doubt who can compete for All-American honors. Okay. So – Will he play for a playoff team, a top 10 team, a top 25 team, or a top 40 team? Top 10 team with playoff aspirations and possibilities. Timeline, where do you think he can he can contribute? I think he can be a – I think he's a guy that can year play one. his first year. I think yeah. he becomes a primary contributor in year two and certainly in year three as probably a primary starter. And then – On a team that divides the running back room a lot, as we all know. Draft – a pick NFL draft production. Uh, do we think he's going to be a top 10 pick, a first round pick, a day two pick, or a day three pick? I think he is more likely a day two pick than any other one of those columns because of the way the running back room is valued. That's why I kind of fall in at around 50. So, and the, the composite has him at what, 40 ish? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, he's a tad bit under 30. that. But. Zach, can you pull up the 
the rankings while I'm getting this because uh, I want to see where his overall grade, like where that would put him based on we have him. I, I agree with almost everything you said, Chris. I think he's probably closer to like a, a early round four pick uh, just because I don't know how he's going to test and stuff like that. Uh, but regardless, like, so I'd have him as a day three. Uh, regardless, I think we're, we're all pretty much lockstep here. That gives him, based on this algorithm, a score of 94.5, which I think is more accurate than the 92. Like, I think that actually is what I was going to have him off the top of my head. It was probably closer to a 94 grade. If that were the case, Zach, where would that put him? And, like, where are the, where are the guys in 94 ranked nationally? Um, I think you're saying to pull up his rankings, but I'll, I'll from a, for now. I can help Zach real quick with that. From a running back perspective, 94.5 would put him behind Taylor Tatum, who's currently ranked one, and ahead of Jarek Gibson, who's currently ranked two. So make They're it 95 and 93, respectively, in the 247, not the composite, just the two. And these are grades that we're talking about. Correct. Yes. In the composite, it would put him as a 94.5. He's a 97.62 composite. Mm-hmm. But the composite's a little the, weird uh, with how the yes. grades were. I'm just doing it for the debate, though. 94.5 would actually put him a decent amount down. He'd be between 9 and 10. But again, the composites calculated differently because you're incorporating three other outputs. I think the takeaway here is like we collectively as people who cover this program and uh, frankly, like a little closer to Cam Davis, just geographically, like know more about him. We get to see him in person more often are probably a little bit higher than how our national ranking system has him. I don't think it's egregiously low. I think it's on the low side and it's fun to argue about rankings in the summertime, but, I, but yeah, I think closer to the 94 is where I would have them. I've just never, ever thought of that kid as being outside the top 100. I was surprised when that's where he landed. I've always Chris, thought of him being closer to 50 than 100, truthfully. Chris, I remember you stumping for Asante Samuel, and I think he was outside of the top 50, and you're like, they're not 50 better players yeah. nationally. And this yeah. kind of reminds the, me. Of the knock on Asante was the, the size, and you know what? He's still small in the NFL, and he's doing pretty damn good there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just you but you also go miss with. on them. There, there's been plenty of guys I've jumped on the table for all the years yeah. who ended up whiffing, and there's been guys when, who I was. Go ahead. Chris, remember when you said LJ McCray was going to be a dude? Yeah, three star. Yeah, and he he's, a a top, he's a top like eighty prospect for us. Yeah, and if he becomes a guy who finishes more consistently and racks up the numbers in that regard, he's going to wholeheartedly live up to that because physically, his build, his athleticism, a large body like that, there's just not a ton of guys like that. So yeah, he is about yes. all day, Dre. You've you've had some pretty good. Uh, I think Sky Moore, who went to South Carolina, ended up getting injured, didn't produce in the NFL because of that, but was a very good player early in his college career. He was a guy I absolutely loved out of high school. You know, sadly injuries derailed him. There was a young man back in I don't know, maybe 2010 or so from South Florida, went to V Tech D tackle. I was low on him when I worked at Rivals and was doing rankings there. He ended up turning into a pretty damn good player. I think he actually had a cup of coffee in the NFL too. So, like, yeah, there's hits, there's misses. It is what it is with doing that. It's an imperfect science. And you're comparing a kid in Florida to a kid in Texas to a kid in California and everywhere else. And you, in our case, we have a ton of info on Cam Davis because we have a long-term relationship with him, seen him play ball, seen him in a lot of different settings, also deal with him personally and kind of understand how he's made up versus a kid like Taylor Tatum, who's in, I believe, Texas, who outside of one DM with him when he got offered by FSU, I don't think I've ever really dealt with him. And I've watched his film, but – Film only tells you so much. Let's see. Well, we kind of talked about LJ McRae, and that's going to be a decent segue to our road trip, uh, which Zach, Dane, and I partook in the other day. Uh, We're going to throw a little bit of information out here, some analysis, but if you've been listening to this point and 
you don't want it to get goofy. You don't want me to mention the word poop. This would be the time to leave. All right, I'm giving it to you now. You don't have to do that. Uh, is that going to, spoiler alert, is there going to be anything poop related in your top five, Dane? Uh, I have the word fried. <laughs> but no, no, no. Out of context, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it does. That does not sound appetizing at all. So Zach, and Zach's been all over the place this spring, and he's, him and Chris have gone to places. Huh? Nothing. Um, anyways, we went. I was trying to say that you're hustling and doing a good job and trying to, to lift you up and elevate you, but you know what? Lift him up! We went to Mandarin High School in the Jacksonville area to interview 2025 quarterback commit Tramel Jones, 2025 wide receiver prospect Jamie for French, and 2025 DB prospect Hilton Stubbs, whose brother's a PWO at Florida State. Um, so that was part of the adventure. Then we decided to drive down to Daytona Beach area and check out priority defenders LJ McCray and Xavier Mincy. And then we worked our way back up to St. Augustine to see Mandarin play in the spring jamboree against St. Augustine and Jacksonville Bishop Kenny. So uh, that is going to be kind of the, the jumping off point as we talk about the road trip. Uh, let's work backwards, I think, in, in terms of like our evaluation or what we saw or what stood out to us guys. And that's we got to see Tramel Jones play in person. And I'll throw this to you, Dane. I think we all walked away pretty impressed with, with what we saw. Fair? Definitely, yeah. Fair. Fair. Like, it's really impressive how there was like so few weaknesses from what we saw. Like, there's for such a young prospect, he seemed just really polished and definitely doesn't lack physical ability. Like no part of that was in, in talking to him and, and before the game and everything like, yeah, that dude, we definitely came away impressed. Zach, you were shaking your head. So I thought you were going to start talking. No, he's just screaming with me. He's just, he's being like... a good <laughs> He threw two, two touchdown passes, one interception. And what was basically a half a play, but the interception wasn't his fault. It was a, uh, it bounced off the, the numbers of his tight end. Yeah. Right? A receiver, whatever. If it, if it was a spear, the, the, the target would have been dead. And that's, it wasn't his fault. He threw it right there in the numbers and just ricocheted up. Uh, but no, Tramiel Jones, the 2025 quarterback commit, Dane said like there weren't many weaknesses. I thought that was a good starting point in evaluating him is he did everything pretty well. Uh, he talked to us before, uh, he talked to us before the game about wanting to get a little bit better as a, a mover in the pocket. And people don't think he is super athletic. You got to see him move around the pocket. You got to see him scramble once or twice. Uh, the touch on his passes, I thought was extremely impressive. He had two touchdown passes to Jamie French, who we'll get into that in a second, but he, he's a, he's a stud. Um, and just his demeanor, I thought was really impressive. The way he carried himself before the game had kind of like a little edge to him. Uh, he was actually probably a little like overhyped, a little juiced early on, missed some throws that first drive, and then really settled in, operated the offense with, with granted a lot of good weapons around him, but he operated at a really high level and looked super control. Uh, yeah, the two touchdown passes were just him finding Jamie French one-on-one, getting them the ball in a good place, letting them go make a play. Um, I think FSU did a nice job on this evaluation. I think he's someone who's going to only continue to get better. I don't know, you know, people on the board have asked, is he going to be the next Luke Kromenhawk? I don't think that Tramel has the same tools that Luke has, so that's probably going to put up his upside uh, or put a cap on his upside. Uh, but but I think FSU's done a nice job there. I mean, Georgia was was sniffing around uh, with, with Mike Bobo was there, and I think part of that was to get some eval on, on Tramel. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to throw this to you. you have any thoughts on the evaluation process here with Tramel? Uh, wanted to ask the reaction to the interception. How did he handle it? Uh, you, you know what? So 
Uh, I think he was fine with the interception. There was a turnover later in the game too, um, where he got the ball out to a wide receiver in space. He had a first down, they were driving, the wide receiver just fumbled the football. They lost it. And initially his first reaction for people watching, you'll see it, but listening, I'll, I'll try to paint the picture. Initially, Tremel like kind of like put his head back, kind of like in like, ah oh, man, kind of frustrated. Gathered himself, thought about it, went over far away to the wide receiver across the field, put his head or put his hand on the back of his helmet, gave him like a slap on the helmet, like a reassuring one out of boy. It's okay. Get it next time. And walked with him uh, to the sideline the entire way. And so like, yeah, that for a guy who is an underclassman, he's technically a sophomore in high school still like that. That I thought was a really nice sign for him. Um, in addition, like even Chris, when he threw touchdown passes, he was the first guy to go over and celebrate with his wide receiver. Like the body language was, was excellent. I think uh, we spoke to him. Like he, he just, He's, he is very mature, very thoughtful. Um, he's a guy that you want to be at quarterback. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, and I think they were from when FSU landed his commitment. I recall some of the conversations we had leading up to that. Basically, of you know we like him because we think he is mature. Also, if we end up pursuing two in that class, we think he's a kid that we can have those conversations where you can be comfortable. With. I think it translates on the field, and that's just positive hearing you guys say that. That that was the thing when I read your analysis piece, which I thought was very good, concise, and to the point. I, I thought that was the thing that stood out to me was like it was abundantly clear that he acts like a mature kid, and we got to remember he's only what fifteen or sixteen years old, mm-hmm. um, and he's a kid that's being handed the keys to a good offense that he operated last year, but he understands he has to take that next step, and I think it's just positive signs. I've been around enough high school quarterback prospects to know. If they act immature at that age, yes, they can grow out of it, but usually it's a negative sign. When they act like they're older than they are, it's usually a very, very good sign. And he he might be to the point where, like, they don't feel like they have to go for a second quarterback in that class. Like, that is very much so on the table. When he got the commitment, that was something we talked about. They've talked about it with him. Like, they will have quarterbacks on campus, but there's not someone that they are, like, aggressively pursuing to add right now. They've been pretty transparent with him. They're going to be comfortable with Tremel also going and taking offers this or tech taking offers, taking visits this summer uh, because he is so early in the process, but like there's a level of comfort in that dynamic and that relationship that I think is um, important because you want to have that level of trust between a quarterback and a head coach, quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, and everyone seems in lockstep there at this point early in the recruitment. Uh, Zach, I'm going to throw this to you. We got to talk to Jamie French a little bit. Uh, He was obviously really good at the game. You said afterwards you think he might be the best wide receiver in the state. Well, for his class. Well, yeah, that was. You were, I, dude. I will. I... All right. Yeah, that was really a good point there, Brendan. But Jamie French is the best receiver I've seen this spring, um, and he's probably the second best receiver in state, regardless of class, behind Jeremiah Smith, who FSU's targeting and is committed to Ohio State. But Jamie French is superbly talented um his release off the line is one of the best i've seen in the last few years and just super electric his route running's pretty uh you know pristine for a guy that's you know entering his junior year of high school and i think regarding interest in florida state i don't know how much fsu had momentum with him before the 10 and 3 season and before Tremel jones committed to fsu for the next two years or so, he's going to have Tremel Jones throwing him the football while being hopefully committed to Florida State. And he he's going to um, – they're going to build that connection. And 
uh, he's already, he told me in an interview before the game um, that he's already uh, been a guy that, or Tremel's already um, had him increase his level of interest in Florida State. And he set up a visit to FSU for early June. Uh, I'll have a story on Jamie French today. But um, yeah, the only three visits he has scheduled in June so far, Alabama, Ohio State, and FSU. So I think that's a pretty good sign for FSU's early chances with one of the best receivers in the country for the next year's class. So, Zach, as an avid Florida Panthers fan, does Jamie French look like he's skating down the ice when he's running? I am a big – that was the you know, that's the first team I ever had season tickets to. Um, Oh. Yeah. I love this. I love 22 years old and already has season tickets to professional sports teams. No, when I was younger. Um, I don't know that Zach's actually 22. I think he may have lied to us about his age all this time. I'm also 23, guys. Thank you. See? See? Friend line all this time. Just oh, remembered it was my birthday, then just didn't send me a text. <laughs> I didn't want to raise expectations too high. <laughs> we we shared that I went on a road trip with Chris, and he knew it was my birthday the entire car ride, and didn't say anything the entire day until like a podcast next week. Again, don't want to raise expectations. <laughs> what is Caressa's favorite birth or uh, cake flavor? Chris? Strawberry. Right, I will never that. forget that again. Um, but no. When, when Jamie French is running down the field, does he look like he's skating on ice? I mean, is that a good way of describing he, kind of how silky smooth, the acceleration, yes. the in and out of cuts, just everything he does? That is definitely like how I would describe him as a football player. Like he's just so smooth. Both of his touchdowns look super easy. Like it didn't really look like he was showing that much effort, but that's just because of how superbly talented he is as a football player. Like he just gets down the field in a hurry, um, is able to go up and get – get the ball. Um, he kind of did that on both occasions. The other one, the, the one he like kind of just um, took the ball. It was like positioned right over where the DB's head was. And he just took it and, and um, caressed it into the end zone. Um, legend, legend uh, Dwight Thomas. If you're in the recruiting industry, you know, who Dwight is. Uh, I love he's Dwight. A, yeah. Everyone, everyone, everyone who knows Dwight loves Dwight. Cause uh, he was, he was Emmett Smith's high school coach and he now does scouting. And I walked by him after the, after that touchdown catch that Zach referred to as caressing the ball over someone's head could show. Yeah. Uh, and, and Dwight Thomas goes to his assistant and yeah, I don't think that was the right word, Zach. Uh, he goes to his, his assistant. He's like, in your, it was in your notes. I, I gotta get my, my Dwight voice in your notes, write down that it's like taking candy from a baby. And I was like, it's, it was so pure and, and just perfectly. Uh, Caress. Yeah, he didn't even say. Now, write down that he caressed the ball over the receiver over the cornerback's head. Yeah, it's the difference between a legend and and Zach. Dane, do you want do you want to talk uh, about your interview and and just uh, viewpoint of watching Hilton Stubbs in in Wednesday's game? I almost said Saturday's. So it's Friday today. You were there Wednesday. Time is a vortex. Yeah, he's another 2025 guy that is really impressive, too. I think he's rated as a top 100 guy. Um, he's playing safety for Mandarin. It's probably where he projects at the next level, too. But he's just a guy with a really big frame, especially for his age, and he's probably going to fill into it really well. I mean, he's already a guy that has some muscle on him, but just being younger, he's 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 pretty he's still pretty skinny still, especially in his upper body. What did he say about the uh, – just in your interview with him, what kind of stuff about uh, yeah, um, he mentioned that distance from home is a big deal to him and uh, mentioned Florida and Florida State, probably Tennessee in there too, is like maybe the schools that are standing out most to him at the moment. 
Um, he does have a brother at Florida State that's that he admitted plays like will play a factor into his recruitment probably. Like it's it's he admitted that it's an advantage for Florida State at least at this point um, to have his older brother. He's a, a walk on defensive back at Florida State, a pretty good one too. But um, yeah, those are probably the two biggest takeaways. He, we could see him visit in June as well. Uh, yeah, he's supposed to go come on the 9th of June, I believe. Yeah. And the uh, FSU is very high on him. I think it's yeah. fair. They like him. Yeah. So I think he's Mandarin has like two other Mandarin has two other defensive backs that are both committed to Penn State. John Mitchell and Antoine Belgrave Shorter, I think his name is. Um, mm-hmm. I think FSU likes Hilton Stubbs more than any 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 of the defenders on Mandarin's defense. And um, yeah, Bellevue the the hyphen had uh he had two interceptions, one for the hyphen. Yeah, the hyphen. Yeah, Belgrave Shorter had two interceptions and some nice uh, plays during the spring game. Mitchell and Belgrave Shorter both visited FSU back in, I believe it was January for junior day. So there had been involvement there, but yeah. I, I think FSU's defensive backboard, which we talked on the last podcast will be one that June will help us sort out a great deal. And John Mitchell was like a tier below. All right. So then we drove to Daytona beach about an hour South to, uh, to check out priority defenders, LJ McCray and Xavier Mincy. Uh, LJ McRae, Dane pointed out, like when when once you saw him, like you're like, oh, that's him, because he just kind of towers over everyone else. So six six two forty pounds, <laughs> like legit too. And then Xavier Mincy also looked great. Was working at cornerback, uh, abundantly clear. He is a cornerback in high school. We have him listed as a safety at twenty four seven Sports, but FSU is recruiting him as a cornerback, and uh, it it seems like most schools probably are, other than like say Alabama or so. Um, I'm not sure if anything revelatory came from those interviews, guys. It was good to go down there and see them and chat with them for a little bit. Uh, we did have some like f- like fighter jets going off overhead as we were trying to do the interviews, which made it a little tricky. Um, but yeah, it was good to go see those guys. I don't know if we have anything that you want to add there on on just talking to them, but it sounds like FSU's in a good spot for both, but but still some uh, murkiness, I guess, with start, the recruitments. Yeah, I'll start with LJ McCray. Um... I think it's a three-way battle right now, Florida State, Florida, and Georgia. Georgia's a, the most recent offer for him out of that group. Uh, they offered this spring. Uh, I think they're a team that's kind of turned it up with him over the last few months. FSU's been involved the longest of those three. Um, they offered, I believe, last summer. Uh, they got him in for uh, the Seminole Showcase camp, and he absolutely uh, shined in that setting against some pretty good competition. And yeah, I think FSU sits solidly in that that top group, and I think it's going to or Tallahassee will be a visit destination for him this summer, an official visit destination, I should say. The only known visit that he shared publicly, or I shouldn't say he shared publicly, but that got out is that he's visiting UF the first weekend of June, um, and I believe Florida State has a visit date set with him. He's not willing to share stuff publicly. Trust me, I tried, um, but. Yeah, I guess we'll see uh, whether you know what he announces the date, but I I think FSU will get him in for an official during June. And with Xavier Mincy, he's another guy who looks really good in person. But um, I think, I mean, I think Ian State schools are probably the ones that are in the best position with him. And then outside of the big three, there's probably Alabama, and I think those are probably the top, probably the the four most likely destinations for him. Um, I think he did mention that. Miami, Florida, Florida State are probably going to get official visits in June. And then, um, but he doesn't have set dates for those right now, according to him. He said he's not sure, you know, he's like flip-flopping around, but 
I think we can expect that he'll take an official visit to Florida State. At this point, Florida, I feel like is probably – I think if Florida goes and has like a good season, then Dave Mincy probably ends up at Florida. Well, but, nothing to uh, worry about there, Dane. <laughs> but if not, um, then FSU might be might be in the best position there. And he's really good. He's a huge priority. As I don't view those two as a package deal, but they are good friends. They, they are, yeah. Well. I think they want to take visits together. So yeah. yeah, they might end up at the same school, but I don't think it's something that they're selling as a package deal. And and I asked uh, Mincy about that, and he a lot of times guys will say they are, and they almost never are. But he didn't even say they were. He was saying like that'd be nice, yeah, but that's not that's not what we're trying to do. Okay, let's get into Dane's top five from the road trip. Top five favorite moments. Just mine. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll comment on them and critique them. Uh, but let's okay. get into it. Number five. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I just jotted a few down last night when you asked me if I would be ready for this. So I just have a short list. I have five. Is it five? Okay. Well, you followed the instructions well so far. The first one, it's just one word. It says fried. But I don't know if we can get into that. And I don't think we need to. Zach, I'll defer to your uh, – you're more mature than I am. Do you think that's uh, appropriate? Yeah, go for it, Dan. No, hey. don't let Dane describe it. <laughs> I don't know. I think we should just let that be. All right. We'll just let that go. Fried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so fried. Um, that was a good time. That's a good a good laugh. Uh, Zach getting scared in the rain is something I put down. Okay. It happened um, again? No, yeah. it didn't. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think Brad and I were being maybe a little arguably cruel, maybe, um, no. at times. And it was raining a lot, and you know, Zach gets that, a little antsy behind the wheel when it starts raining. Gets panicky when it starts raining. Really all right, it's really hard to see. Okay. This, this, all right, for context here, I like that they're inside jokes, but we need to provide a little bit more context, I think, too, for people to enjoy this, this okay, segment. Yeah. Um, on a previous trip with Chris, Zach, and I down this from to South Florida on our way back up, it started pouring torrentially, and Zach screams out i can't see while looking at me and then looks behind him into the back seat and then yells it to chris chris a, a veteran of many road trips he's seen plenty of stuff on the road just kind of shrugs his shoulders <laughs> if today's the day then it's a day but for zach to not see and to think the most appropriate thing to do is to take his eyes off the road and scream at us i was looking for help when, when you are a driver you want to give comfort to the people around you in the car the passengers and so zach also did the exact opposite of that and so anyways it started raining again on this trip uh, we didn't have a scream i can't see moment but um definitely two hands on the wheels and, and Dave who and I. wouldn't do that though also you... i think i think the hazard lights we had this conversation should be like okay to put on when it rains oh, I know there's like, uh, and i i very much disagree with that and i don't even want to get into it holy crap <laughs> We'll move on. We'll move on. Number three, Dane. Actually, well, we should have like a poll or something on this, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, Hazard it lights easy. okay or not when it's like a torrential downpour on the highway. Dane's point is that you can think someone is something catastrophically is wrong with someone. I would point when it starts when it starts raining heavily and someone puts on their hazards, you're so you can see them better. And I understand that's what's happening. And, and headlights so, work well too. Not when you're not if you're behind someone, Dane. Continue. Number three. Uh, three. 
Um, oh, Colombian food was really good. That was the best food we had for sure. But I also mentioned that the waitress had a perpetual whistle. That was kind of freaking me out is what I said. But yeah, the food was really good. Um, I had tilapia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was good. That was a good lunch. Uh, I think it was better than getting fried chicken like at nine o'clock at night from Wawa's. Um, Hey, but we got recognized by my boy Brian at Wawa. Shout out, Brian. That was cool. All right. Number two. Um, Seeing Tramel, Jamie, and Stubbs in person. That was cool. Um, I mean, that's just good. I don't know. It's not like a fun moment, but. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. I mean, seeing them and being able to kind of evaluate in person, that's, some, that's a, a big reason we're doing all this, taking value from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. It was informative. I enjoyed getting out there to to see prospects in person. Been a little while, so yeah. it was nice. I think all, right. all three of them were pretty impressive, too. I mean, especially Tramel, Troy and Jamie. They're both like, yeah, that was great. And, and then the last thing. Yep. Yeah, let's get fanfare for number one. <laughs> it's, not, it's not funny. I can't believe you're only made me do this um i said meeting and having conversations with some some like different college coaches and stuff oh yeah you get out there and you network a little bit so the steak and shake debacle of 2023 the the great steak and shake (laughs) disaster didn't make the list dude god i I was afraid i just knew how it would turn out and i knew people would hate it and having fried on there was bad i'm I'm not going into it i want to explain this brendan was giving me so much crap for trying to find like we were trying to find a good bathroom for her to go go in, and we went to this one gas station that was like it was an outhouse. And he's like, "I'm not going in there." And then we go to the steak and shake. I'm like, "It's a steak and shake. It will it will be chill." I go in the restroom. I <laughs> mine's perfectly fine. And then I hear Brendan and Dane dying laughing outside the stall. I'm like, "What is going on?" And I look. I I come out of the bathroom after I'm done, and I look into the other stall and it's the like worst scene you could ever see you could ever see <laughs> the flood the flooding from it was probably like 10 feet in circumference uh and you could see into the toilet why it was flooded um and i don't know why that's i think it was because there was such a build-up to me giving zach crap like i thought going to a steak and shake like, chris have you ever stopped at a steak and shake as a bathroom stop in, a, in no. all your road trips right no. mcdonald's a nice gas station there were so many other options, and Zach was insistent on stopping in the Steak and Shake. It was easy. It was uh, right right there, like when we were trying to figure out what was going, where we were going to go. the The secret to that is uh, like a supermarket. Oh, I love. I just go to the Publix, and you get to recharge. It's going to be cleaner. Yeah, yep. Publix is the way to do it. Uh, the Steak and Shake uh, debacle, the, the disastrous explosion in that toilet. Us all. <laughs> Zach was laughing so much that his stream was like getting impacted. Oh, <laughs> see, that's <laughs> okay. End the podcast. All right. If you, if you've listened this far, I gave you fair warning that we were going to talk about some, some potty stuff, uh, five star reviews on Apple, a podcast on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, it helps us out. If you're watching on YouTube, please like subscribe. That helps out as well. I want to thank Chris. I want to thank Dane. I want to thank Zach. I want to thank Chattanooga Whiskey. I want to thank the Turner Group uh, for listening. We appreciate everyone uh, who's made it this far. Thank you. Uh, We'll talk to you guys later. This has been On the Bench. Bye.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.